0: I'm a feminist, but last night I did a virtual reality comedy club, and they asked me if I wanted an ordinary-looking avatar in jeans and a t-shirt, or one in a low-cut dress with a push-up bra who looked like a glamour model from the 90s. And I said, obviously the hot one. <laughs> Where else am I gonna get to look like that? And then when I got into the other club, all these other women had come as like robots and like donuts. And it was at that point <laughs> I realized that nothing, Dawn, is sexier than a talking donut.
2: Oh, you just God,
0: I so put agree. You're tongue in that hole. Oh, my God, bl- yes. Bl- 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 I yes. was literally talking to a donut and I was like, why the fuck have I, yeah. I come? Why did you choose to- the low
2: cut, tarty no look? Donut next time. <laughs> I'm doing it again tonight, definitely. Donut or similar. Okay, good. Like it. I'm a feminist, but. I do occasionally really enjoy being called Mrs. Bignall. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, I've, in my passport, I am Dawn French. Mm-hmm. And because I am married, I mm-hmm. have to have a special page that explains why I'm Dawn French. Because sometimes they won't let you on a plane if your ticket is booked in Bignall, but oh, your yeah, yeah, you know amazing, your yeah. passport says French. So I have to have a page where mm. at the passport office where they said, this person is a performer and has kept their uh, maiden name, blah, 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 blah. So that explains it. So I do quite a lot of smiling and uh, feeling grateful uh, at uh, airports in America. I hear uh, that. Back in the days when we could do that. Um, but I do occasionally love being called Mrs. Bignall. Now, I don't want to be owned by anybody. But I like being in this couple. Conflicted feelings about taking a guy's name and all the rest of it. But occasionally, it makes you feel like a team, and like a family, it.
0: doesn't it? When you've got the same name, it does.
2: There is something yeah, nice. it's all about it's the it's the belonging. It's I'm the belonging. only Deborah
0: Salinsky on bills. Sometimes I'm not. I'm never really Deborah Salinsky. But once I went to a very formal, posh event that was so British posh that my name tag said Mrs. Thomas Salinsky. And okay. I, yeah that's really old school and that like, is obliterating you you yeah. don't even have a first name no need for a first name i'm just mrs thomas linsky <laughs> and i admit i was so intimidated by the poshness of the event i wore it it was before i was doing the guilty feminist okay. please don't write it and judge me yeah. Yeah. Um, i'm a feminist but if Pretty patel asked me for a tampon in a public loo because she'd just come on in a white dress i'd tell her to fuck off <laughs> I'd say all my tampons have sadly been deported, Pretty Patel. You
2: deported them. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Well, you, you're, you're just, you're negating the sisterhood because of the hatred.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not giving
2: Pretty Priti Patel a tampon. I, I think, think I'm with them, you. To be honest, I use pads, but I wouldn't give one of those either. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Well, I'm a feminist, but I did remove all underarm hair. And now I'm having massive regret about that because, you know, when you're younger, I did some shaving. Then I realized mustn't do that. Did the Viet, and then I did waxing. And with waxing, it does eventually go. And also when you're 63, here's something really good about getting older. And there's not much, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) One good thing is that your hair just, just doesn't grow so much. So suddenly you realise that you've gone a couple of years and you haven't had to do it because it's not really there anymore. But here it is, you know, at age 63, that's when that happens. But now is the moment and i think we're all following in various people's footsteps but that wonderful young woman you'll have to help me with her name She plays princess Di in the crown she uh did a front cover shoot on something the other week and she's like this and there is this gorgeous little tuft of hair here mm-hmm. and she it looks so sexy and i thought yeah we're off again we're off with it. enjoying a bit of underarm hair and i've just when I haven't got any left. Ah, and I spent complete. my whole life getting rid of it. And now I could have it with great pride. Uh, and why the hell did we ever do it? I'm really sorry it's not that clear. I ever did do it. Well,
0: it might be that artificial hair under the arm now is a thing that comes back. <laughs> yes. I bet you anything. <laughs> like and a merkin. S- yeah, exactly. Like a little tuft on a Velcro. I'll s- yeah. I'll send you some for Christmas dawn. <laughs> okay, thank okay. you. And they do it in nice colours now. Um, yeah. I'm a feminist but I'm currently trying to grow my eyelashes with a special potion, like a farmer trying to grow a crop in a bad season because they're all short and wispy because I got fake ones too many times. So they kind of fell out a bit. Yes. I'm growing okay. them like some kind of organic free range farmer. Look, look at how the steak. What is state. the potion that you're putting on? Well, it's a special potion. Um, it's You can get it lots of different places the really good stuff's very expensive but i got some cheap stuff from the chemist i think it's got the same ingredients in but you put it on and it does
2: grow your eye i think they. i've used this stuff i had this recommended to me by a makeup artist once when my eyelashes sort of seemed to give up and i don't know why they did and i used that stuff and somebody explained to me that it was invented as a treatment for people that had uh, hair loss because of cancer
0: Oh, I thought it was a potion for people with cataracts that they'd happen to discover also grew your eyelashes. There's probably two, like two vaccines, like the Pfizer and Oxford vaccine. Yeah. Coming together uh, at the same time. (laughs) They're probably different potions. Anyway, I'm trying. I'm trying. You're allowed eyelashes as a
2: human. It looks weird to not no, have eyelashes.
0: It's just that I... Feminist I lost, or otherwise. I lost my brilliant eyelashes, which were perfectly good, by having a lady come and stick them on.
2: Yes. And I'm oh, the sticky it. on ones are very bad. I've only done it once for a job. And they did pull my eyelashes out, they like do. you.
0: Don't do. not do it, Why have gang. we fallen
2: for it? Don't do
0: it, gang. You've got to have them done very, very well, and you've got to not pull them out yourself. So if you are going to do it,
2: well, do your yes. research. Yes, that's true. Don't pull them out yourself. Yes, Deborah. I regret yes. it. I regret it. <laughs> All um, right. Well, my last one is yep. very dull, but it's true. Uh, I, I'm i a feminist, but I get really bored if I have to talk about feminism for longer than 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: From a variety of kitchens and bedrooms via Zoom, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, and very special guest co-host, Dawn French. Woo. Hello! Am I a co-host? Yeah. yeah oh, co-host, I didn't get really. my invoice
2: in for that. I didn't expect that.
0: <laughs> well, we normally have a co-host and a guest. Okay, but, uh, you're the second only co-host guest in one because I didn't want to share. I just thought, oh, why let someone else rub it I on? I don't want party? anyone else in our party. There's no need. There's no need. You and Sandy Toxvig have been the only two that have ever oh, been. Oh, okay. You've okay. been guests with because... You know, like, what's the point of having another person when you yeah, are agree. at least two people in one? Yeah, and
2: nobody else likes us enough to join us anyway. So <laughs> I elect- <laughs> tried, I really tried. I asked around everyone was like, absolutely not. We're, we're unpopular like, oh, and we're not fragrant.
0: So, yeah, you know. No, I asked all of our regular co-hosts and they were all like, oh, I'm really busy all of those days that you said <laughs> that Dawn would do it. And I was like, I just don't know what to tell you. There is someone else. Uh, yeah. No, I just wanted to give you the full airtime. Thank uh, you. Partly because I'm going to introduce you. My guest and co host today is a comedy legend. I think that's fair. Ah, oh, okay, yes. Take. I think it's fair. From her earliest appearances at the comic strip in London to sitcom stardom in the Vicar of Dibley, she is an actor, novelist, scriptwriter, comedian. Mm. Mm. And can be seen on television this Christmas as Beatrix Freaking Potter, yes, another indeed.
2: legend. It's Dawn French! Hooray! Woo! I'm going to clap myself now. I'm going to clap myself. Clap I myself. mean, I am an actor, and obviously in these troubled times, in these troubled and unprecedented times, uh, we haven't been given enough applause. And no. I realise how much I've missed it. So occasionally oh. I just give myself a round of applause, and, and I enjoyed joining you then.
0: Well, do you know what I, because I live in central London, so what I used to do is do a bit of stand up with a great punchline at one minute to eight. <laughs> uh, on a Thursday night, and then open my window.
2: And yeah, I found good.
0: that I could share the applause for the NHS, and they didn't mind. They didn't. I'd asked a few doctor friends, they said, Fair, fine. We're not used yeah, to it. We're fine, not used to yeah. any applause. So, uh, Delude yeah. yourself all you like,
2: Deborah. Exactly. That's what they said. Yeah. I'd just
0: land that punchline and then just open the window. <laughs> Woo!
2: And the whole so, country's just, applauding you.
0: I'd be bowing out the sash window. Thank you. Thank you, my darlings. Thank you, my public. Um... <laughs> Uh, you have also written a phenomenal book. Oh, I've really enjoyed it, and I'm not quite at the end. And so, oh, I mean, no spoilers. That's interesting and no important for
2: me to know. Okay. Do you know Dawn? I'm adopted. No, I did not know that. Oh. But um, did you know that everywhere I go, people tell me that they're adopted, and I'm amazed at how many people are adopted. So and many fantastic. different adopted
0: people. Once you come out as adopted. Well, I did a show about finding my birth mother. I found my birth mother end of 2012, beginning of 2013. And this is relevant to your book. If, if people at home are thinking, Deborah, what a non sequitur to start talking about yourself. <laughs> no, I love this. I need to know all this. The book is called Because of You. Yeah, it was an instant Sunday Times bestseller. Obv, obvi. Uh, well, and Don, you're obvs. a very, you're very, you're a very accomplished author, as well as being uh throbbingly famous as half of French and Saunders, <laughs> the French half of French and Saunders. Indeed. And the book is about. Is it okay to say what the book's about? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Top line. Top line. Without any spoilers, I'm really going to try no spoilers. Yes. It's about. Two women at the, ter- at the fin de siècle, at the turn of the century, nay the millennium, which I remember yes. well. Yes. I was at university and I remember it very well that New Year's Eve because we all thought planes were going to fall out of the sky. And, uh, yes. you know, it felt like Nostradamus a Nostradamus told Eve. us
2: it was all over. He got that wrong by about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Nostradamus, he's, he's rolling in his grave saying, I said 2020, not 2000. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, yeah. so easy to get a phone number wrong. And uh, so this is about two women who give birth at the beginning of the millennium, the very start. And this is a content warning now if you are in any way affected by this. Uh, But one woman's baby doesn't live. And it's very traumatic and devastating, as you can imagine. And on the way out of the hospital, in a frenzy and a panic, and obviously not in her right mind, she takes the other woman's baby and takes it home. And normally, if that was in a television drama, the police would solve that and the baby would yeah. go back to the rightful yeah. mother. Yeah, But in this story, they don't find her. She gets away with it. So we cut then to 18 years later, is that the right amount of years later?
2: Yes, indeed. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, enjoying the story and I want to buy the book, uh, having heard this. it's And it's, <laughs> absolutely,
0: it's so riveting because, of course, there are then emotional issues. If you've been raised by someone, they're your mom, And this is something that people don't understand. So I found my birth mother, who I adore, and I'm close to, I'm close to the family now. And I've been in their lives since Can I ask you something?
2: Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no.
0: But no, why sure, did sure. you
2: decide to go and look for your birth mother? And what age were you when you did that?
0: Uh, so it was 2012. So I was obviously 12. Yes. Um, no, I was a grown up. I was grown up and well, and well old enough to sort of, you know, in myself feel I was, I, if, I, if there was a rejection there, I had enough tent poles of structure in my life to be able to manage that. Got it. And I I think I just got to the point where I went, I need to start for myself filling in pieces of my own jigsaw puzzle to feel more whole. Okay. And every time I've done the big, dangerous, brave thing of going, I'm going to have a look it's always done that for me. I've always put another yeah. piece of the puzzle in and where the holes yeah. are, it's getting fuller. And whether that piece of the puzzle is a good piece, a disappointing piece, a fulfilling piece, a traumatic piece, it's still making me more whole. Okay,
2: I like it. Yeah, I understand that. And on my, in this case, it was a really great piece. Good. And were your uh, adopted parents still living and approving of this and behind you? My mum is
0: uh, still alive and was obviously still alive then. Um, she's, yes, She's not, has not recently. She's not Lazarus.
2: Her. She's not <laughs> Lazarus.
0: Yeah. Uh, my dad sadly had passed away, but my mum and dad were brilliant. Very unlike the character in your book who'd stolen the baby and then obviously not told her baby, by the way, I stole you. Um, yes. My parents adopted me legally and... Always told me, like, I knew I was adopted before I understood what that word meant. Yes. But they'd always say, oh, You're special because we specially wanted you. Some people have babies accidentally, but we had to fill out a form. And so I thought I was very special because my siblings are both biologicals. They're both biological to my parents. I'm the only one. Okay. And I never felt different except that, you know, I was special. Yes. Um, but you were just I, better.
2: I mean, I think yes, we know. Better. I'm saying it better. I mean, a tad, a tad
0: better. That's how I felt. No,
2: I, did it. I, did it. I thought we
0: were all special, but this yeah. was one of the ways. I was also left handed, so that made me special. You know, it, okay. it was an, another one of those sort of things that just marked me out from maybe individual. Yes. But when sometimes people say your real mum, referring to my birth mother, and I find that very difficult yeah. because. I love my birth mother. She's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we've got a great relationship and my biological sisters love them. It's been so great. But your mum is your mum. Yeah, absolutely. And my birth mother knows that too. And she doesn't refer to herself as my mum. She refers to my mother as my mum. So, you know, that's the thing I think people find it hard to understand.
2: Well, the whole point, isn't it, is, you know, who makes us? Is it the DNA, is it those who step up for us and are there and love us in that moment for as long as they can and as well as they can? And I haven't got any answers to this at all. And you've got more certainty probably than I have about certain parts of this. But um, Your daughter's adopted, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, the thing is that my mum... Um, worked with children's services. My mum was an amazing woman who started, I mean, she lost my dad very early. My dad committed suicide when I was about 18. So I had a very, it was a very odd time because my mum, my dad was in the RAF and my mum had followed him around for his job, as we all had, um, all the way through my childhood till I was about 18 and then my dad died. So my mum kind of reinvented herself as a singleton. And what she did was after I'd gone away to college, which she forced me to do and I was dripping with grief Mm -hmm. soon after this awful tragedy had happened, but my mum was absolutely sure to send me off to college because she knew I would need that distraction. And I went off and I I used to come home quite a lot from London to see my mum down in Devon. Um, because I was worried about her and you know and the kind of grief that was following that awful year and when I would go home I'd see cards on her mantelpiece uh, which said things like thank you for saving my life I wouldn't be here without you things like that this was the first Christmas I came home and I said you know mum what's this what are what are all these cards who are they from and she said oh you know there's a boy up the road and he's sniffing glue and I'd invited it in for a cup of tea and we just have a bit of common sense. And there's a girl who's, oh, she takes heroin and, but bless her, she's she's just feeling a bit lost. And, you know, so my mum was inviting in every waif and stray with every kind of problem into her flat and just giving them cups of tea and lots of sound advice and all her love. Because of course my brother was at uni, I had gone off to college and she had loads of leftover love and my dad wasn't there anymore. She had all this love to give. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she did do that. And that was a very laudable thing to do. But my mum had no training in this world whatsoever and didn't really know what kind of advice she was giving out, except for she was just being a support. So Then my mum went off and literally trained herself to be a counsellor for people with drug and alcohol problems. And then she opened up, I mean, she went bing, 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 very quickly, very big, took it all very big. She checked the law and she saw a kind of hole in the whole care service when it came to women, especially with uh, these issues with drugs and alcohol. And so my mum founded a place called the Trevi Centre, which was for women, and their children to go and recover from these problems. And she's fairly strident about it all. She wouldn't allow the guys in unless they could Because they were often the problem, the guys, not always, but often... And the guys had to kind of prove themselves before they could have access to these recovering women and children. And my mum's whole thing was, you must keep the families together. The kids must recover from Mm. this awful problem alongside the mums, right? So because she got involved with that and with setting up another rehab and whatever, my mum filled her life with helping other people. And so she did become part of Children's Services and she was on the panel for adoption, um, so she was part of choosing where families would go and putting the jigsaw, as you call it, kind of together, mm. you know, of putting the right kids with the right families and checking on them afterwards and all of that. And my mum would tell me stories of how this would work and how heartbreaking it was or how wonderful it was when the right families had the right kid and stuff. So my interest was piqued about that all the way along. And then when it came to being married and trying to have a baby and not succeeding, I thought, like, this is the route we have to take. And so we had, you know, sixty hours of interviews and all the rest of it, and we entered into the adoption process ourselves. And that's when our daughter arrived nearly thirty years ago. Um, so yes, I've been on both sort of sides, of, really, of that whole adoption process. And like when you do adopt, even when you do the interviews beforehand about, you know, your marriage and the state of it and what you like under stress and what you imagine will be coming into your life. And, you know, the, the interviews are fairly intensive, uh, quite rightly, because as the social worker who I begrudged at the beginning, I thought she was just nosy cow. And then I was really, really grateful to her because I thought, yeah, yeah, you're going to give a child into our care. You need to check that mm. we're OK as people. you Of course you do but and i re- i came to really admire her and so much so actually that i remember thinking god if we don't get through this panel I will accept that as a decision. You know, they'll be making a wise decision. I trusted her that much. Wow. Anyway, you know, our daughter came into our life that way. So, of course, I read loads of books about the primal wound of being torn from your birth mother and given to another mother. And, you know, I read loads and loads of stuff, some good, some not good, along with baby books and everything else. And then I just uh, sort of abandoned all of that. Of course, when the child actually arrives in your life, you just get on with the actual job of raising a kid. But I have always been interested in issues of identity and whether it's different for somebody who is adopted and when and how it is different. You know, I'm aware that some people have a great need to Fill those holes, like you say, and some people really don 't want to either just don 't want to face it don 't want to risk another rejection, or just feel happy where they are and don 't need to be filling up anything and we 've got to respect everybody 's need, yes, in every case and of course, with the way the law has changed over the years, the child is at the center of it all I mean, you know, my kid was adopted nearly thirty years ago, and just before that, the kid was nowhere near the top of the of the importance pyramid. Right. It would be the adopting parents were regarded as the most important people, then the child, and somewhere thrown in the bin, the birth mother, mm-hmm. who's a shameful person who made a huge mistake. You know, mm-hmm. that's how it used to be. No longer is it that. Thank God. It is the child at the top, then the birth mother, then the adoptive parents. You know, it's an interesting way round but I know that kids can come to a moment that's why I'm interested in your moment when you just uh, come to a moment where you think I'm strong enough I'm ready enough I need to have all the answers to this but look at you talking about who your real mum is and your mum is the person you called mum when who raised you and in, in my book that is hope she's stolen this child and she has done something very 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 bad in a very impetuous way, but this is a very, very, very good person who has done this unforgivable Mm. thing. And I suppose what I'm trying to find out with this book, and I had to test myself with this is, is this crime forgivable? And that's what I set out to explore. And the other moral question at the center of it is, was Minnie, which is the name of the child, Was Minnie actually raised in the right family after all? And again, you know, dangerous area. What is the right thing and what is the wrong thing? None of us can say we're not God. But, Mm. you know, this happened and it's a, you know, I would call it a mistake that hope made by stealing that child. But she did purposefully do it, albeit in an impetuous way. Well, she was in a... Her brain chemistry was presumably altered at the time. And that's what I wanted to have the two very different mothers having a very different experience. Mm -hmm. One mother stealing this baby and making all kinds of enmeshed reasons to keep this baby and being sure in her head that this baby is her gift and that it was right to do and making the excuses for why she continues on like that. And then living with a life of um, suppressing a secret and uh, denying herself lots of happiness because she knows she's done a bad thing. But she puts everything into the raising of this child and she makes lots of sacrifices along the way. Whereas we have the other mother whose child was stolen, who has to confront a lot of things in her life. Um, And no, I'm not saying it was right that the child was stolen, but as a result of that happening, everybody has to reassess everything that is going on. And the basic premise for me was the kind of mightiness of women who can, if they reach into it, forgive each other for even the most great greatest of sins and they we know don't we that we have to forgive each other we have to forgive the tiniest things in life Mm -hmm. otherwise we don't live a good life we know that we can't go forward unless we do forgive but how Mm -hmm. how do you forgive and you can't decide well you know by tuesday morning i need to have forgiven this uh because i need to get on with my life you either do or you you don't It's
0: an amazing work. It's a piece of art. It's about different characters coming together and analysing something from lots of different points of view. And it's important for us to allow those pieces of art to thrive and be in the world and to look at those complex, uh, nuanced feelings that children might have, that mothers might have, that caregivers might have, uh, that uh, people who have suffered loss might have. And it's always because it's you. It's also funny. It's also a great, just a great page turner, a great read if you're looking for something to read over Christmas.
2: Well, uh, we all know, don't we, that when situations are pretty dire, that's when it can be at its funniest. I mean, you know, Mm. I set out to write a serious book, but I know it's going to have moments of levity. Of course it is, because my my life does. And that's how I cope with tricky, tense moments. So of course, I'm going to introduce a character that's you know got word wasps and there's a character in there who's a policeman who every time he's needed to be serious and to command a serious moment he just puts his foot right in his mouth you know (laughs) insensitive twat um you know and I've tried to write some interesting men in there because anyone who knows me knows you know that I love a good dad um Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of a Great dad, and I had a great dad. But I've written a good dad and a not so good dad in this Mm -hmm. book. And writing a not so good dad was a great source of humour for me. It was very satisfying.
0: And again, when my dad died, I never laughed more. Like I never cried more, never laughed more. We laughed, we cried, you know, just. It was because yeah. I think those
2: two things are very twinned in you. Well, they are, and they are the way that you've loved each other all the way through your life. So why would you not do it at those last moments? And you know your grief. You know all this, but your grief is equal to the love. So of course, at that moment in time, you're going to be out of your head with grief and not yeah. know how to cope with this moment. It's so surreal and odd because it's not. You don't want to be torn apart ever. From the, your beloveds ever. Nice. And you, you also are changing your position. And I know this, I lost my dad and my mum now. You change from being, you're not your father's daughter anymore. You are, mm-hmm. but you're not. He's not there to make you feel like a daughter. And once I lost my mum as well, I thought, am I anybody's daughter? Mm-hmm. And actually, are you anybody's daughter when they've gone? Are you mm-hmm. still their daughter? Yes. You know, when people say to me, oh, you're Roma French's daughter, aren't you? I think, "Yep, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And very delighted to be, but Roma French is not here anymore. So, you know, I've now gone up the tree and I'm now the effing matriarch. Yeah, you're the top level of the video game. I am.
0: Um, Well, do you know what fascinates me about this is because I haven't had children, but there are different ways that you mother. And the kids I nannied for still say, Turns of phrase and bits of poetry or jokes that my dad said to me and my dad isn't here and I don't have any children. And yet in some way they will now, you know,
2: they will say that to their children and therefore he will live on. This is how people live on. They're in your back pocket at all times. You know, all my mothering of my actual children and my Mm, is mothering the right word? I don't know. My my female relationships with younger people that I've had in my life, any nurturing that I've done is because I've had a template of something really good. And I copy it a lot. You've, you know, your dad's voice has gone through you to people. My dad's voice, my mum's voice and my grandparents' voice go through me to people. It's a wonderful thing. That's, you know, that's how life goes on.
0: Tom and I had a a man who's a Syrian refugee, a young man who moved in with us three years ago. And he is now absolutely like our grown-up son. And we are so close. And he has his own brilliant parents who got as far as Turkey. But we're his sort of like British mum and dad because they're not going to understand all of his life that's going on here. There is a sort of weird connection that happens because I've never thought family's biology. I've never thought that. And I said to my mum last night... In a few years' time, I'd love to get a big old house in somewhere in East London or somewhere in some area that I can afford in this fantasy world where I can afford a house in London. But, you know, I'd find a way and just have lots of refugees, you know, teenage in early 20s to stay and just fill the house with lots of hugs and good food and someone who's excited for your good news. You know, Steve had some good news yes. the other day and he immediately FaceTimed me and he was just like, he just and it was just that someone who's going to yeah. go, ah! It's not all about supporting people through... Bad news. It's having no, no. someone who
2: cares so it's much about, about your good news. It's about mattering. Mattering. It's about mattering, it's about mattering so, somebody. And people giving you the approval and celebrating with you me. and telling you off and giving you yes. the boundaries and, and making sure that you know when you've upset somebody. You know, all of that guidance is oh, so valuable. It's so everything. and And yeah. I was so lucky to have it through
0: my... Mum and dad. And also I feel blessed to have found uh, this sort of second biological family who are very much family to me. And it's weird also, Dawn, when you meet... I saw my sisters taking the piss out of my birth mother when we were getting ready to go out somewhere and one of them was doing like an impersonation of her going, right, everybody, and doing this, um, the listeners can't see, but doing as if she's playing piano with her hands. That's her gesture. Right, Right, everyone, come on. Everyone get your shoes on. It's time to go. Doing this this gesture. And I just was like, oh my God, because my friends take the piss out of me for doing that when I do stand-up comedy. And I was like, (laughs) it's so weird to see... Because often you're looking for things and you're going, oh, I like that. But it's yeah. that thing in you know friends where Phoebe meets her birth mother and they agree they both like pizza and they both think puppies are cute and it's sort of like you're looking yeah. for things to be honest you know like, yeah of course uh, right. oh you have
2: eyes too and I also have, I have hands. eyes I have eyes
0: and hair and hair um, but the <laughs> the gesture was freaky and there are moments like that where you just see yourself in somebody in a way that you never have when you know yeah. you're growing up because that's not you know your experience so I think it's a really really interesting read and I'd love to talk to you more about this another. Time. Time because it's such a complicated glorious subject what is family who is family yeah. you can and this is why choose love is such an important charity to me you can choose love you, you can. can choose love you absolutely that is as can. strong as steve is as much family to me as anybody in the world anybody yeah. in the world and well, always what, will be. what's
2: what you've done there is create a place where he belongs and yes. where you belong also your needs are also met in this equation Nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging that. I I just I I think we all have to admit it and go. Yeah, I also matter in this person's life. Absolutely, and um, and I can be a fundamental force for good.
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh, definitely. There's nothing in the world that's completely unselfish. I don't think uh, when it comes to human relationships, but there are healthy ways of not imposing yourself onto somebody and I, well, I think I'm grown up enough now to let that be organic and let it be what yes. it's going to be and wh- yes. I'm just very lucky that in this occasion it was something truly wonderful um yes. but Steve once said to me um he said my mum took in refugees all my life when I was a kid if no refugees needed somewhere to stay they'd come and live with us because there were a lot oh. of refugees to Syria yeah and he said one time I said mum why do you do that And she said, this is when Syria was safe as houses and they never would have thought, you know, absolutely. He lived in Damascus, the oldest inhabited city in the world. Just the safest place to live in the world. That way, uh, it was still a police state. Yeah, I understand. um, In terms of no one would think that city would ever, anything would happen to that city. ancient. Exactly. And um, not always safe under that government, but you know what I mean. And uh, he said, I said to her, mum, why do you do it? And she said, this is when he was a kid, because I would hope that someone would do it for you.
2: Oh my God. And he said
0: to me, I don't know if I believe in karma, but sometimes I just think the way as soon as I turned up to London, there was you and Tom, there was your, we'd only just, we only just had a spare room. We just knocked through upstairs. We just had a spare room for like weeks when we met Steve and he came to mind the cats. You know, he said, I just do think there's something, he said, but my mum would always say there's an Arabic expression, do good and throw it in the sea. And that means you don't do good for something to come back to you. Absolutely. 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 I said, sometimes something you put in the sea does wash up yeah, on the shore. And, and, well, and it helps you, even yes. if it's gone in the sea. It helps you, you now find you're on nice. another shore, and there that thing yeah. washes up on the sea. So yeah. you know what is family. You can choose love. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're slowly getting back to performing live shows, only very safely. And our next one will be at the Kentish Town Forum as part of Podcast Stop, a brand new podcast festival for London. We'll be there with some Guilty Feminist favourites recording our episode on Thursday, the 18th of February at 7.30pm. To get tickets, see the link in our show notes or on guiltyfeminist.com. If you've been able to find a silver lining during 2020, We want you to share it and we want you to help people for whom a global pandemic managed to make a terrible situation even worse. All over the world, millions of displaced people are living in refugee camps and for them, there is no silver lining. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to the Choose Love store and if you can afford it, you're going to buy something. There's hot meals there from five quid. Buy something that you can afford that you relate to. Once you've done that, if you can afford to, you're going to grab your camera or your phone, and film yourself playing with your new puppy, playing the flute, baking banana bread, whatever represents your silver lining. Even if it's just having a nap, putting your eye mask on, curling up under your duvet, you can film that, make that funny. Tell us why you did it, what you got out of it, what surprised you about it, whether you'll continue your new habit, or whatever you're inspired to show us or tell us. Then you're going to share on social media with the hashtag silverlinings linings and tag the guilty feminist and choose love. We want to fill up our timelines with gratitude. But you're going to tell everyone else in your video, go to the Choose Love store, share your silver lining with some people who are displaced in refugee camps and don't have a silver lining. And when you go to the checkout, could you use the checkout code silverlinings, one word. We'll put up a sample video or two on the Guilty Feminist website so you can get an idea. And we're going to start posting them from the 15th. So if as many of you could drop on the 15th as possible, that's going to kick it off and get it going and more through the week. So anytime from the 15th to the 24th, post your video. Even if you don't have any spare cash, sharing your video will encourage others to buy something. If you explain why it's important, please remember you have more influence over your friends and family than I do. So you sharing this is going to make a big, big difference. As Renny lodge says, when asked how you can be an ally, the answer is, I don't know where you hold power. So you hold influence over your friends and family. So the more you can share it, send your little video on a WhatsApp directly to them if they don't follow you on social media and get them to make theirs as well. It's going to make you feel great about the year and it's going to make you feel hopeful about the year ahead. Please, please, please uh, play along. We'll share as many of them as we can. And remember to tag us in Instagram, we're at The Guilty Feminist, at DF Dubs. On Twitter, we are at Guilt Pod and at Deborah FW. Choose Love is at Choose Love everywhere. And just hashtag silver linings and hashtag any of these other things as well. You are an incredible, inspiring group of people. You never, ever fail to overwhelm me with how much you care and how much you engage. And I really hope you have some fun making your video. And now back to the podcast. Now, you're going to be on television this Christmas as the Vicar of Dibley again. I know. How did Imagine you make that? this in
2: lockdown? Well, um, since Vicar of Dibley finished properly many moons ago in another century, uh, we've done a few little specials for Comic Relief and so on. And uh, this year was no exception to that because we did um, a little bit of the big night in Comic Relief. I had to think, well, how can I contribute? OK, what would Geraldine be doing in a lockdown? She'd be ministering to her parishioners from her front room so let's do that and we did a little five minute film for that and loved it and so the BBC asked us to do one for each month of the lockdown kind of following the restrictions and the relaxing of them and so on and in the way that Dibbly, and only Dibbly for me anyway can be it's very light and very silly and very frothy and very funny and then it's heart-stopping because Mm. we Uh, Remember those who aren't here anymore, Mm -hmm. who were our real genuine friends. So Mm -hmm. while I'm busy being Geraldine, the vicar, giving a eulogy to Alice Tinker, my darling verger, I'm also Dawn saying goodbye to Emma. So, you know, not easy to film and not really Christmas fair, really. Mm. But it is when it's Dibley because Dibley's always gone. Oh, there's death and there's grief, but there's also silly people doing stuff. And there's also a man showing his pants, you know, and it's it's all right. Everything all, all, right across the spectrum is welcome in that sitcom.
0: Do you know, funnily enough, when I met my biological grandfather for the first time um, and he only found out I was back the day before I met him and he was wow. in his, he was, yeah, he was in his 90s. He said, oh, you're a comedian, are you? He said, do you know who I love? That Vicar of Dibley. True story. And he loved Emma. And he went on and on about them and said, can you bring them here? I was like, probably not, honestly. Uh, (laughs) I mean, if I'd known you as well as I'd known you, to impress him, I would have said, yes, you might might have said yes. FaceTime you. Yes. He sadly died. It's too late to FaceTime my grandfather. But I want you to know that that was my first experience with him was him going on and on about the Vicar of Dibley. And well, you isn't Emma? it funny
2: that in this weird year, quite a lot of people have let me know that watching reruns of Vicar of Dibley and they can find them anywhere um, has just been a comfort. Mm. And honestly, you know, if that's, if that's the one thing I ever do, then, mm. then good. Good. If, you know, if it can just take you away somewhere or just feel like a familiar old jacket that you're wearing and that you know is going to be okay. Yeah. It's a real hug, the
0: Vicar of Dibley.
2: It's a real hug. because it's, it's a, a hug. Fam- Again, exactly. it's family, really, yeah. isn't
0: it? It's family.
2: Yeah. And it's got decency at the heart of it. You know, written by Richard Curtis and Paul Mayhew Archer, who are good, female-respecting men. True that.
0: Um, and Beatrix Potter, another yes.
2: British female legend.
0: You're playing yes. her. And what part of the, her life are you dramatising?
2: Well, this is an extraordinary story. And my friend, Abby Wilson, who used to work for us at Saunders and French, she used to be our PA and now she's a proper grown up writer, um, came to me and said, look, she'd found out that it was true that the six year old Roald Dahl met the 60 year old. Beatrix Potter. And Roald Dahl had a very difficult life. His dad died, his sister died, and he was in a lot of grief by the age of six. Mm -hmm. And his mother, played in our film by Jessica Hines, his mother took him to Beatrix Potter's house because he adored her books. And I'm sure that Beatrix Potter had many children running about in her garden looking for Peter Rabbit, and I'm sure she was really spiky and grumpy about it. But of course, in a drama, what Abby's written is this one little moment that changes things for both of them. And of course, Beatrix doesn't know that she's meeting the future Roald Dahl, but if you look at Roald Dahl's writing, you can see the influence of Beatrix Potter, who is anything but soft and fuzzy, which Mm. she appears to be, but she isn't. You know, rats get their tails cut off Mm. and kittens get eaten. And to be honest, if Mr. McGregor had caught uh, Peter Rabbit, he'd be in a pie. Mm. You know, it's dark, it's Mm. dark. And meeting him just gives her a little bit of courage to say no to a publisher about something. And it's a delightful film. And it was the first thing I did out of lockdown.
0: So Christmassy, that. That feels very very Christmassy. Christmassy. It's got
2: animation and animals and it's gorgeous. Wonderful.
0: Is there anything else you want to tell us about Dawn
2: before you go? Mm, don't think so. I think you've covered everything pretty much. Oh, I have done a bit of a podcast with Jennifer Saunders. Do you remember her from the 80s? Uh, Vaguely, yeah, she's I, the sort of she's the one who's on. leached off me all the way through her career. I mean, uh, yeah, we do, we've done a podcast called Titting About. We've been asked before to do podcasts, and I just don't, I thought I other people are doing, young people like you are doing it much better. Uh, so we didn't. But then when we could, we said, well, we, you know, we can't be in front of the camera, so let's just let's have a go at just talking. And we tried to have some themes, but we're no good at sticking to the themes. So we just titted about a bit, and it seems to have gone well. I am excited for that. I don't. You can
0: never good. have too many podcasts. Uh, thank you for titting about.
1: From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Um,
0: it's been really
2: lovely to see you. Lovely to see you too. I've and it was really all the way back it. on Richard Herring's show, wasn't it? When I met you. Yes. I've Do got a lovely that? photo of us together. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was and a then big... I saw you at with Hannah Gadsby. Oh, I remember yes. seeing you that night as well. Was that in Brighton? I can't remember.
0: Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely lovely to see you. and uh, Good. And have a wonderful Christmas. And, I will do I uh, hope to see you in 2021, 2021 maybe even in the real with hugs yeah you never
2: know with proper hugs and proper cake I'd like that
0: I hope so that'll be lovely go and finish your happy cake happy Christmas now. okay
2: okay bye. lots of
0: love bye you have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me Deborah Francis White and our very special guest co-host Dawn French the Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Harger produced by Nick Sheldon the producer was Tom to the Spontaneous Shop thanks to Rachel Craft Magina Gina DiCio and everyone else who made this episode happen as well as all of you for listening for more information about this and other episodes visit guiltyfeminist.com woo yeah the first babies the first millennials ever the first babies born at the millennial in the no they're not millennials are they they're, they're anyway I'll go back because Tom can edit all of this out yeah great. it's great really I cheap. love it I
2: wish Tom could edit my whole life he's brilliant he's brilliant remove I, all mistakes Tom
0: All arms and arms, and we'll be gone. Honestly, it will (laughs) be so so sleek and chic. You'll think it's women's hour with
2: jokes. Um...
0: Planning for your next
1: trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5.